0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Paul Kempisty, an herbalist, acupuncturist, and specialist in Chinese medicine based in New York City. His work combines both Western and Eastern medical philosophy to help his patients overcome health challenges using natural and non-toxic treatments. Paul is also the founder of Peaky's Herbs to help bring safe and effective herbal options to everyone. In this episode, Paul shares all about his no-approach approach to health, which is grounded in Chinese medicine, looking at the root cause of imbalances in the body and treating the patient individually to achieve their goals. We chat about the tools and the benefits of acupuncture, ranging from digestion to fertility, his favorite herbs for immunity and stress, and how he uses pulse and tongue diagnosis to figure out imbalances in the body. Keep listening to learn more. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm thrilled to share all of your knowledge with our community. Thanks for being here.
1: So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: At Purely Elizabeth, our mission is helping our community thrive on their wellness journey. And so we always start the podcast really diving into your own personal journey, what got you into becoming an acupuncturist, an herbalist, and then how you're really helping your community thrive on their journey as well.
1: Uh, When I was young, I thought I would probably be a doctor, you know, or a dentist or something. Like my parents were fairly encouraging of a a robust scientific path. And then I, I was born in Poland, I grew up in Australia. And and then right towards the end of high school, my family moved to America, we moved to Chicago. And I definitely went more a hippie route at that point, like I definitely rebelled a bit and kind of dove into alternative philosophy and meditation and yoga. And like, it was, a, it was definitely a, a long journey of self discovery. And, you know, a, after a period of time, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to go and and dive into a degree, and I didn't feel so connected to Western medicine at that point, even though right now in my practice, I, I really rely on Western science, Western medicine, Western research, kind of scientific view of things to pick the right herbs and pick the right treatments and the right supplements, what have you. But back then, I felt a little bit more enamored with a, like a holistic and alternative way of approaching things. Herbs was definitely that first, the main the kind of thing that I was interested in. And then it turned out that in the, like the kind of the most robust way to study herbs was through chinese medicine and acupuncture school but you don't really get uh, licensed as an herbalist you got licensed as an acupuncturist so i quick smart i went and got a few acupuncture sessions to see because mm-hmm. i've never had it before and and from those i got a few sessions from a few different people someone in new york someone in chicago and i remember just from those few sessions and i had some health concerns at that time in my life it didn't fix them right away but it was so crystal clear that this treatment modality, the acupuncture process was the real deal. Like it really was clear that the way it stimulated my body, the way I felt on it, I I could feel the connection between the different points as they were placed during a treatment, et cetera. It was so profound and so clear that I was just like, phew, I like acupuncture. And so I dove in and I went to school for Chinese medicine.
0: Once you finished school, did you then move to New York and open your practice or what did that look like?
1: Okay, so I, I actually went to school in New York. I, I did my four year master's of Chinese medicine in New York City at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. While I, I was always interested in herbs, so even before I went to school, I was studying herbs. And during acupuncture school, I did additional herbal studies. I studied with this uh, Taoist priest in Chinatown to really get like this deeper angle on herbs. When I graduated from acupuncture school, one of the teachers at my school set up for some students, like a program to go to China. I went to Beijing with a translator. I worked in the, and studied in the cancer and gynecology departments of hospitals, really got a nice glimpse of what Chinese medicine is capable of. And and then I came back, uh, followed a Western medical oncologist for a couple of years, for two and a half years in Central Jersey to learn more, and then private practice in New York City.
0: Oh, it must've been fascinating being able to go to China and study all of their real ancient wisdom.
1: You know, it was interesting. Like it it had its pros and cons on the one hand, it was amazing to see the mothership, right? To see where it's all from and kind of like put to rest any kind of mysteries and any kind of fantasies about Chinese medicine. But like, you know, it was really great to see people like physicians practicing it in a, in a very, uh, almost like a primary care kind of fashion. Like, you know, know, a doctor would do a consultation with a a patient. And then after the consultation, they would write on the prescription uh, form, a couple of Western medications, plus an herbal formula. It was like really integrated in a nice way. But I also saw elements of it that, that were like, oh, okay, this is how I don't think I'd like to practice acupuncture. They have these large hospitals and people come in, you know, there's many people in a room and it's almost like a cookie cutter. They, they do a lot of treatments you know, really intense and, and, you know, very robust and people are squealing and and, and screaming and Oof. stuff like that. They're pretty intense. Looking at that, I was able to realize, okay, I know that the American public is not ready for this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. So it sounds like then you got really wonderful experience grabbing some of that ancient philosophy, coming to the states, going back to New Jersey, working with an oncologist, and then really putting that all together to come up with what your approach is. So it would be great just to give us a foundation of today, what is your approach to wellness and what does that look like?
1: And I'll say this without being like ironic or funny, like my approach, if I think about it, is kind of like a no approach approach. Yeah. When a news modality or new system or a new superfood or a new diet or something comes up it's a good entry point for people who are looking to start to accelerate and evolve their approach to life and diet and well-being and wellness and health etc but when people are you know really come in and they need to solve difficult problems or stubborn problems chronic problems the approach is whatever that patient needs I mean, if five or 10 different of my patients compared notes, they'd see the similarities based on the tools in my toolbox kind of thing. But the approach really is listening to the patient, listening to their kind of health and, and, and wellness and illness journey and, and narrative and what have you, and then asking them what they want, like what their goals are, because like, their goal today might be different to their goal a year ago or in five years time, and what have you. And then also discussing with them and seeing like, what are they willing and capable of doing to achieve that goal? because some people want, still want a quick fix. Some people yeah. want to take a pill. Some people come to alternative medicine, but they still want a, a pill to fix it quickly. And they, they don't realize like, you know, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it requires a transformation in their lifestyle and their diet and what have you. And so my approach is by putting all that together and maximizing their chances for success, you know, and then you know, offering acupuncture, offering herbs, aromatherapy, dietary stuff, meditation, guidance, etc. cetera.
0: But really, while you don't have an approach, I guess the the basis of it though is really looking at that root cause and trying to understand what's imbalanced or not imbalanced and the why behind maybe someone's not feeling well, right? For sure,
1: absolutely. And I think like, like my kind of non approach approach is definitely fed by Chinese medicine philosophy in general. You know, we we don't get uh, like hamstrung by focusing just on a symptom or a diagnosis. We try to figure out, okay, 10 people with a headache, they could have 10 different kind of environments inside their bodies or patterns, as we call them, that are feeding that headache situation. And so they might have 10 different treatments. And so that re- that really does belong to Chinese medicine in that, like the, the really individualistic approach to unraveling a health concern.
0: That would be great if we could dive a little bit into Chinese medicine and just talk a little bit about, for those who don't know really what Chinese medicine is, how does Chinese medicine look at health? Okay. Or wellness. Okay.
1: okay so <laughs> Chinese medicine in general is like a system of of healing. Depending on who you ask, has been in action for the last two to five thousand years. Like it really is, and it's and it's a kind of a glorious smorgasbord of of medicine and shamanism and religion and superstition and quest for immortality and like all, like think of all these kind of things that coalesce as people you know try to survive. In a, in a more primitive world and a more dangerous world than we know now. And then fast forward a little bit. And in the 1960s, you have the Cultural Revolution and the Chinese government really tried to uh, pare down what is Chinese medicine. And they tried to separate fact from fiction. It, w- it would be like someone coming in and trying to separate conspiracy theories right now yeah. from like, reality and, and being like, OK, we're going to stick with this. And then we're going to kind of discard the rest of the stuff. And and at the end of their process in the 60s, they came up with something called TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. And once they surveyed and assessed and evaluated all the things that were posing as medicine in China up until that point, they they really tried to pick the things that had the best results, were reliable, were reproducible, etc., Uh, So there's that element. Another way of answering the question is like, what is Chinese medicine? It's also like you take all that, but it's also dependent on, on the environment and the culture in which it's practiced. So over a thousand years ago, maybe almost 2000 years ago, don't quite have my dates perfectly, but Chinese medicine found its way to Japan. And then it incubated in that culture, separate from any further influence for quite some time. And when people nowadays look at the difference between mainland Chinese medicine, acupuncture, et cetera, and herbal medicine, and like Japanese acupuncture, herbal medicine, and, and kind of health philosophy, they're clearly related, but they're so different. They really reflect the temperament of the culture at large, of, of people's sensibilities, their kind of their environment, their expectations, et cetera. And it's, it's really interesting. Like w- when I described to you a minute ago, how like some of the hospital treatments in China can be yeah. kind of intense. When you look at Japanese acupuncture, it's very delicate. They use thinner needles. They use far fewer needles. Very gentle insertions, and they're not trying to hit a home run, so to speak, to win the game. They're yes. trying to like, what's, I think that would be bunt the ball. Like they're, yeah, to, yeah. they're doing a much gentler kind of approach. But interestingly, it works in the culture. And then America, the, the United States, is like a perfect melting pot because we see so many collisions of different cultures and and personalities and and histories here and, and different constitutions of people, et cetera. And so we really see as acupuncture and Chinese medicine play out in America, you get all these nuances and all these influences, and it's almost like a Darwinism working through Chinese medicine or ac- acupuncture. It's
0: fascinating. As you talk about the different healing modalities that you use in your practice, I know you do a lot between acupuncture and herbs and aromatherapy. Let's start with acupuncture. Can you explain a little bit about what the process or the principle behind it and why seek acupuncture for those who don't know?
1: From a Chinese medicine, traditional vocabulary, like they believe that our body was made up of qi, blood, yin and yang, like these four things. And the way I describe it to people is like, your your yin is like your substance, your yang is like your... Your, your metabolic fire, your blood is your, your blood and your qi is like your energy, your vitality. I mean, those are simple explanations but they had different ways of evaluating in their system if your qi, blood, yin or yang was out of balance or out of whack in your body and all the acupuncture points and all the herbs and, and all the recommendations a Chinese medicine doctor might make were also calibrated to that same nomenclature, that same vocabulary. So there's herbs and acupuncture points that stimulate chi to move up or down or in or out or nourish it or disperse it or what have you. Their concept of how acupuncture works in their vocabulary is basically a person has a symptom and that symptom is a reflection of some sort of malfunction of the ideal flow of resources, chi, blood, yin and yang, an and, imbalance
0: of sorts, an imbalance, yeah, yeah.
1: And and then you you know you would choose acupuncture points to stimulate, inform, massage, coerce. Those, those, that, that energy to kind of start to flow and behave in a way that is more conducive to health. And so that's a Chinese medicine way of thinking about it. But the difficulty in, in kind of Western modern culture is we kind of have a loose idea of chi and yin and yang, but we like don't really know what it means. And even the characters, the original characters are fairly elusive. They infer things rather than tell you like, this is exactly this thing. It's not like an, a nerve or a, or a liver or a, or a heart or a brain or a, or a blood vessel kind of thing like they're, they're kind of difficult to pinpoint and so a lot of times when people ask how does it work I mean I'm, I find myself breaking it down into kind of basic physiological functions so when you have an acupuncture needle inserted it's a small injury you know it's a small insult on the body it's not like getting a cut or a bruise or a bang or a sprain or something, but the body doesn't care. It still responds with this kind of arousal of healing activity, whether it's circulation or immune function or wound healing or or what have you, nourishment, oxygen, delivery, et cetera. Your body responds to the acupuncture needles and it's really just a function of adaptation and survival. We're alive because we've adapted to our, our world over millions of years. And when you get an acupuncture session and you get those points punctured on a very basic level, your body is like, "Oh my god, what's going on? (laughs) How how do I adjust to this?" And in so adjusting to it, you know, if you're choosing the right points at the right time for the right patient, that adaptation, that adjustment will, you know, cause their body to function more harmoniously.
0: So I had acupuncture last night, and I went into the session, and the woman first felt my pulse. And then that was to diagnose what the body needed. So it'd be great if you could talk a little bit about what you do in assessing someone and what that pulse diagnosis does. And then it was just fascinating to me how quickly she put in two needles and felt my pulse again. And instantly it had changed back to being in a more balanced state, I guess. But it would be wonderful to talk about that diagnosis that you are able to see.
1: I'd say the unique tools of an acupuncturist are tongue and pulse diagnosis and they kind of are indigenous to Chinese medicine. But the modern acupuncturist, certainly the acupuncturist that my colleagues in New York we will we'll do a full history, we'll talk to the patient, ask them questions, we'll get an understanding of what's going on. We'll look at any labs or blood work results or scan results or the physician notes or specialist notes about the diagnosis. And we gather as much information as we can, but then the tongue and the pulse gives us this way to translate all of that into some information that makes sense for for choosing points and for choosing herbs based on Chinese medicine, nomenclature. So like tongue, for instance, is a fleshy organ of the interior and we can see it without cutting you open. And so they they always thought it's, it's a good way to get a glimpse of what's the probable condition of the fleshy interior. And the way I describe it to patients is like, if you're buying a piece of fish or a piece of meat and you go to the grocery store, And, you know, sometimes you go to Whole Foods and and you see that glistening, beautiful piece of salmon or steak and you're like, oh, yes, that looks delicious. That looks great. And then you might go to one of those kind of smaller, less well-kept regional grocery stores and they've got that cadaverous meat aisle in the back. Yeah. and, and (laughs) And it just looks pretty gross. And you're like, oh, my God, who is eating that? So we look at the tongue as a reflector of the vitality and the health of your meat and potatoes inside your body. And then your pulse, like when a Chinese medicine person is taking your pulse, you, you'll notice most of the time, they're not like only counting the beats per minute. If the pulse is too fast or too slow. That's pretty clear to us. But we're, what we're looking for is changes in the qualities of the pulse, how it responds to our pressure. And that gives us a sense of like, what's kind of the the, the, the immediate flow of energy in, the, in that body at that time. And that's why a person can run into a session and be stressed out and their pulse can be you know, really elevated and, and really tight and, and you know, reflect a certain something. And a person can have a couple of needles or or even sit down for a few minutes and relax and and kind of de-stress for a moment and the pulse changes. So the pulse is a very good indicator of like the immediate condition of the person's energy.
0: I once saw a woman who specialized in Ayurvedic medicine and okay. they too read pulse and tongue and she felt my pulse and had said to me, Do you have a problem with your tooth? To my knowledge, I didn't have any discomfort. Nothing was wrong. And I came home from seeing her, went to the dentist, and it turns out I needed a root canal and had zero symptoms, zero discomfort. So it was, to me, just so incredible that the pulse could tell her that kind of information.
1: I mean, so pulse and tongue. I joke around with people and I'd say, like, let's not get a neck tattoo about this, but (sighs) But it, you know, it looks like this or it looks like that. And, you know, there's times that it seems to be like just spot on. And there's times where it seems to be part of a bigger picture and a bigger story about the person's health. But someone who is expert in, in tongue and pulse diagnosis can definitely get these kind of unexpectedly precise reads on, on a patient's condition.
0: It's wild. It's, must be a lifelong learning to really be able to diagnose something so specific like that.
1: I mean, there's definitely what you learn in school, and then even more important than that, there's how you refine that understanding in the feedback loop of, of taking thousands of posters a year as you see sure. your patients and what's going on for them and uh, what they come back with, what labs say and what their doctor confirms and what, what have you. So it's definitely a, an ongoing process of refinement and evolution.
0: So as you talk about uh, your clients and patients, what would you say are some of the commonalities for people who seek your healing modalities and, you know, what kind of benefits are they seeking and what are you mostly treating? Okay.
1: I mean, I have a general practice, so I see a little bit of everything. Obviously people know to come in for pain. Like people think of acupuncture, maybe more than anything else as something that's good for reducing pain and, and injuries and things like this. So I see a lot of
0: that. Do I you see, see a lot, lot of, of back pain specifically or? For sure. Yeah. I mean,
1: all over, like every joint, you name it, every limb, you name it, every muscle, you name it. I see enough people and for, it's been long enough <laughs> that you kind of, you see it all in a way, but like your yeah, back pain is very common, neck pain, knees, but, but everything in between too. I see a lot of fertility starting in the early two thousands when some research papers came out from Europe, initially showing that acupuncture doubles the success of IVF in vitro fertilization, we acupuncturists everywhere started seeing more and more fertility. And I I see a lot of fertility in my practice. It's kind of amazing to see acupuncture influence that process in in, in such a beneficial way. It's really amazing.
0: That's incredible.
1: And then also people won't come in saying that they have this, but there's a category that I'll call functional disorders. So people will come in with their headache or their painful period or their terrible digestion or, or what have you and they're coming in with a symptom. But what I find is that acupuncture and Chinese medicine in general is really good for functional disorders. So like if a doctor can find a tumor or an infection or a blockage or a tear or something, then then they can act on that. It's an actionable path. They can give a medication, a surgery or, or what have you. But if the patient goes to the, I can't, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. Like, we don't know why you're having this symptom. And then usually there's not a lot of options in Western medicine then. So Western medicine is fantastic when there's a clear linear path to, you know, towards a health solution. But when it's not clear, sometimes a person winds up just on pain pills or just on steroids or just on some sort of like what I'd call maybe like a a band-aid situation. And Chinese medicine is excellent for that. Like acupuncture and herbs. And the way we look at a patient and diagnose them, and we reached a little bit further and deeper than just the symptom or the diagnostic, you know, term, and we kind of try to understand like, what's going on inside this person? Why does he or she have a a headache every day or a painful period every month or what have you? And those cases are the ones that I think kind of the sweet spot of Chinese medicine.
0: What about people who are just, I guess, taking more proactive, whether it's from boosting immunity or for stress or is that also acupuncture a good solution to help with those yeah for sure
1: those people come into like in two different varieties there's the ones that come in and the only thing they're asking from the beginning is i'm so stressed or i want to boost my immune system or what have you and then we start working on that but then maybe more often than that there's the people who come in for the ankle pain or the headache or the constipation or the asthma or whatever and after we you know work for a few sessions or a few months on that chief problem that they came in and they feel better and and everything's hunky-dory they start to notice they're like oh you know what i haven't been as stressed or i haven't gotten as many sore throats or i haven't had as much trouble sleeping etc and, and that's usually when those people will transition to understanding like okay so the holistic wellness is like not just dealing with a problem like putting out a fire but yeah. it's also about preventative and proactive self-care. And I think last year was a major accelerant for that That kind of thinking of waiting for the other shoe to drop with your health. People have realized like, oh my God, I can't do that. I have to take responsibility for my health and, and take a step forward.
0: Absolutely. I think that's one of the few silver linings to this past year is definitely for sure. that proactive responsibility on health is really exciting from that standpoint.
1: Yeah. that's It's tough to sound like you're celebrating a, a pandemic year, but like, in terms of that catalyst, that accelerant for for people to realize like, oh my God, my health is finite and my life is finite. And, and there's a lot more that they can do to regain and maintain their wellness and their vitality. That's really like a silver lining for sure.
0: For people who don't live in New York, what do you recommend as far as finding a practitioner wherever they live to find a good acupuncturist or herbalist?
1: First thing I would say is like ask friends and family, coworkers, like-minded people who you trust, who you kind of share sensibilities with. If they had a good experience with someone, you probably will too. And also to know that it's a process. So you you may get like three or four referrals and you might try one or two and you just don't click with that person and that's fine in the third one you you may So you've got to be willing to get in the sausage factory a little bit of your own health and take a chance and try and what have you. But aside from that, you want to make sure that your acupuncturist is licensed and certified and and all that. And so a licensed acupuncturist does three to four years master's level training. Um, That's different to a certified acupuncturist who's usually already a medical doctor, a podiatrist, a chiropractor, and they will do 100 to 300 hours as a kind of a basic acupuncture training. So I usually recommend look for a licensed master's level or doctorate level acupuncturist and, and ask around.
0: So you are also a master herbalist. And could you talk a little bit about how you use aromatherapy and herbs in your practice and what those benefits are kind of switching see, gears in the acupuncture?
1: I'll see up to three, four, 5,000 treatments a year, depending on the year. Like I have a busy practice and I would say like, over 95% of my patients take herbs or supplements or some sort of botanical medicine. And I, I mean, there's no mystery or magic to it, but like when a person comes in and if they you know have a complaint or they have an illness or they have something that they're struggling with, I'll do the, the history. I'll do that. We'll have a consultation, a conversation and I'll suggest to them what I think will be helpful. And I love herbs and I've seen them do amazing things. Herbs aren't magic, but they are wonderful and they're powerful And and they can achieve a lot of health goals with lower risk, lower side effects, lower complications and interactions than many medications. So even though I love Western medicine and I'm a genuine earnest fan of science and kind of Western medical approach to things, all the systems have their strengths and weaknesses. And I think offering people herbal options for many conditions is a very appropriate way to help them start dealing with something. And, you know, there's a bell curve. Some people respond beautifully. Some people respond linearly, moderately, and as they continue to go through that treatment protocol, they get better. And some people aren't strong responders to any given treatment. And so knowing that a per, you know, someone may end up doing a more robust and more invasive treatment, I, I still think it behooves everyone to try the safer, natural, less toxic options whenever possible.
0: So I know that you now have your own line of herbal formulas and that you had formulated the goop bath products, which I'm a fan of, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about some of the products in your f- herbal formulas and what are some of the top sellers that we should know about okay. and be buying.
1: So, so I, I started an herbal company, it's called PKs, um, herbs. I started a few years ago and most people who've had some experience with acupuncture or not might have been to Chinatown and seen those herbal pharmacies with like the wall of herb or yeah. drawers And the person, the clerk or the herbalist, weighing out the stuff, putting it into these bags, you know, these um, paper sachets or cooking it into vacuum bags or what have you. And so a lot of my patients would take those herbs. But after a period of time, I started wishing I could introduce like a European herb or an American herb into a formula or South American herb or African herb or Ayurvedic Indian herb. And so I started making the tinctures to kind of satisfy that goal to one, have them be immediately available in my clinic without having to send a person to Chinatown and two, being able to add ingredients from all over the world. And I, I, at the moment, I think I have like 44 or 45 different formulas. Um, wow. And, uh, so, and that's just, just to, to like, uh, feel the, feel the need in the clinic, like very pragmatic, like as a, more and more people are responding well to something or asking for something I've obliged and, and formulated or created something that could be a solution for them. I'd say probably the the best sellers or the the, the most pertinent herbs in my practice are an immune formula, stress formula, adaptogenic, mushrooms, of course. So probably my top selling immune formula is called On The Edge. And it's filled with a number of like antivirals and antibacterial herbs. And it's basically that perfect remedy for when you feel like you're about to get sick, like you have that scratch in your throat you feel a little flushed or you feel a little bit under the weather and you know that you have that sinking feeling as you go into bed and you're like oh damn i'm gonna be (laughs) sick tomorrow so on the edge my patients far and wide call it the magic potion if you take it like that night and you take it the next day i would estimate nine times out of ten you can escape death wow what are some of the
0: herbs in
1: that formula Uh, um, some i mean it's, it's not a large formula but it has like forsythia and honeysuckle It has andrographis, a few Chinese, uh, additional Chinese herbs. It also has ginger, it has olive leaf. So just, you know, antiviral, antibacterial Mm -hmm. things. And they're really good at nipping it in the bud.
0: Okay. That sounds like something we all should have in our drawer.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, people stock up on it and (laughs) and they swear by it and it's usually, that's the formula that converts the the spouse. So I'll usually have one patient and they're, they're an avid user of Chinese medicine, acupuncture and herbs. And they'll often share with me like how their spouse might be a little cautious or a little hesitant, a little doubtful about any of this stuff being authentic and and, and effective and what have you. And and then there'll be that moment where the spouse is about to get sick, they take the the on-the-edge formula, and I get that feedback like, oh my God, we have a conversion. We are not (laughs) a member.
0: (laughs) That must be so gratifying. It's amazing.
1: It really, really is. It's, it's so good because you can go from having, you know, every cold and flu or several colds and flu a season to like zero or one. It's a huge change in lifestyle improvement. It's wonderful. And certainly with like, I mean, now we're going into a period of time where it's a little uncertain, but in some places, masks are coming off. Some people are getting fatigued with social distancing. We already see a few of the kind of common colds and flus of the season coming a little bit earlier, et cetera. It's like they've been waiting on the sidelines. So it's a formula that's going to be really important for people over the fall and the winter coming up. Do I'll you say- have
0: a another formulation that you should be taking every day or you re- as far as immune support, or do you really think just taking this to nip it in the bud is the best?
1: Having something to nip it in the bud is... It probably gives you the most leverage if you're only going to do one thing. But I do have a formula called seasonal support. And so when people talk about immunity, I think, and I think this is changing a little bit, but I think the public kind of confuses things that boost the immune system with things that are antipathogenic, like antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, et cetera. And so on the edge is antipathogenic. It kind of shuts down a rebellion or a mutiny in your body at that first sign. This, the other formula, the, the one you just asked about, the seasonal support—that's more immune boosting. So it's got herbs like elderberry and astragalus and goji berries, reishi mushrooms, just different things that gently but efficaciously like boost and support different parts of the immune system. So that's I've you know there's one for kids, there's one for grown-ups, and it's fantastic to take on an ongoing basis just to improve your resistance to getting sick.
0: So then. That's your immune support is number one. And then two, you were starting to talk about stress and what that formula looks like.
1: I have like a couple of things that kind of go into that category. One is a formula called wake the dead. And, and the reason I like your names. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So wake the dead is full of adaptogens. They're herbs that really help the body adapt to stressful circumstances Whether it's emotional stress, physical stress, environmental stress, adaptogens really gives your body resources to let let it make the best decisions for sustaining itself in any given circumstance. Adaptogens also have a biphasic effect. So at certain doses, they have a calming and grounding and kind of stress relieving activity, but at, at slightly higher doses, they're more stimulating and energizing and nourishing. And adaptogens tend to be pretty good immune boosters And if you take a kind of a nice robust dose of of an adaptogenic formula, you you do have that boost of energy. You you can replace a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and it won't get you as wiry and jittery as, as the caffeine will. And then on the flip side of that, I do have a formula called Calm Down. It's a simple name, but it's just herbs that are just grounding, soothing, calming. They help the nervous system kind of come down a few notches. And the main ingredient in that formula is uh, called albizia bark that translates as he huan pi, the bark of happiness from Chinese. Oh, I
0: and, like
1: that. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful herb. Like, so a person can become less stressed or less anxious easily by having a glass of wine or, or a beer or what have you, and it relaxes them. But there's an intoxicating element there that kind of it diffuses the stress, but it kind of also tangles your energy a little bit. And so her Juan P is this wonderful herb that it helps you deal with stress, but it has an oxytocin like effect, which is the bonding hormone. So it, it helps people feel less stressed through in inducing like these feelings of connection and these feelings of being present and connected rather than intoxicated and inebriated. So it's a fantastic mechanism for stress and anxiety.
0: Sounds like another one that we all need in our cabinet.
1: <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's why they're best sellers. And then I'd say the last formula that I'd love to mention is, Uh, mushrooms people are fine americans are finally coming around to the benefits of medicinal mushrooms and it's fantastic to see because mushrooms are incredible superfoods Uh, they cover so many bases like immune boosting but also anti-pathogenic energizing but also calming and de-stressing circulation blood sugar cholesterol liver health kidney health heart health like mushrooms medicinal mushrooms are really fantastic
0: I'm a huge fan of mushrooms. We actually had come out with a granola bar with mushrooms, no, no, three or four years ago, and unfortunately, it didn't seem like everyone was quite ready for mushrooms at the yeah. time.
1: They I didn't, think that three or four last, years, it, but
0: yeah, but three good. or four
1: years, it makes all the difference because I, m- many, many more people these days Definitely. are starting to kind of have mushrooms in their conversation about options for yeah. for wellness and and immunity and what have you.
0: Yeah, they're incredible. When you think about all of the different modalities that you work with clients, I'm curious to hear any stories that come to mind of an amazing journey of one of your patients and what your work did in their health journey.
1: There are many of them and in full. I'm sure there's a
0: ton. Yeah, yeah there,
1: there are many, but there's also people, like I said earlier, there's definitely a bell curve at play. Some people are formidable responders Many people are good responders and some people are poor responders to any given modality. So uh, almost like a, a injury lawyer or a financial institution <laughs> disclaimer, I'll, I'll say, you know, like, this is just an example. It's a very positive example, but um, I, uh, maybe, I don't know, five to 10 years ago, I had a gentleman who came in, he was 60 years old, he had chronic hypertension, high blood pressure and chronic diabetes, and it had damaged his kidneys. He was in, a, you know, renal failure. And he was waiting for a transplant. He was on the transplant list. And and as far as the reports from his doctor and his narrative, it was an incurable condition. It was just really like, you know, your high blood pressure and your high blood sugar over the, the decades have just done irreversible damage to your kidneys. And your only option will be dialysis or a kidney transplant. And he was a person who didn't have a lot of experience with alternative medicine. He was referred by a friend. And he came in and he came for acupuncture once a week. And after six weeks of taking herbs, like he, I, I gave him like a really robust formula. Like it was a, a pretty strong herbal formula. His kidney function improved to the point where he was eligible to come off the transplant list. And so, oh my God. so to, I know. So to me, I mean, such a wonderful story. And to me, so gratifying and just really shows that nothing is set in stone. Like, he, you know, he yeah. may not have responded, but he did. And there's cases where people come in or there's cases out there where people feel like I, there's no options for me. And yet they just, there's another stone that they need to turn over and, and try you know try something and, and there's a chance that it can work. So my motto and my practice is I don't like to waste people's time. Like if I've tried the things that I think are helpful and if that person is not responding, I'll, I'll very humbly say, listen, this might not be the right thing for you. But aside from that, I think it really behooves people to try something natural because more often than not, they do get a response, they do get a benefit. And many times they get a like a, what's considered an impossible resolution or impossible cure.
0: Yeah, that that's amazing. I just love hearing stories like that because I think especially for people who haven't tried alternative or different sorts of approaches, you know, when you keep hearing all these wonderful stories of how different modalities help, it's definitely hopefully encouraging to people to, to, to try something and take that responsibility into their own hands.
1: Absolutely. Just open someone to the possibility that, that it's not a dead end for them.
0: Yeah. There's always options. Diving in a little bit to your own personal health. I'm curious to hear if you have a morning routine, a night routine, how you look at your day and your own approach to wellness.
1: Okay, so another disclaimer here: (laughs) what what works for one person may not work for another. Absolutely,
0: we are all unique.
1: And and I think I mean like so I don't have a lot of uh of routine, but it I think it's kind of pertinent to the stage of life I'm in. I you know have a busy practice that I'm running. I'm in a startup situation with my herbs and growing that company. I I have three school age children, etc. So for instance, my morning routine is wake up, maybe run go to work. (laughs) Um, And then my evening routine will be get home, maybe unwind for a few minutes, watching funny stuff on YouTube, then um, meditate just about every day of my life and then go to sleep. It's pretty simple. And I, I take my herbs and supplements most of the time in the evening.
0: What does your diet look like?
1: My diet has gone through all kinds of explorations and phases over my life. When I was younger, I had some health concerns and, you know, I had to figure them out. You take advice and read books and observe around you to a certain point, but then you, you know, you have to get off the beaten track and really take ownership. So, you know, it took me a few years to experiment with vegan and vegetarian and pescatarian and omnivore, et cetera, and everything in between and gluten-free and low sugar and and no dairy and etc and i'd say like right now my diet is what what it's like pretty much an omnivore diet like i eat just about everything i pay attention to what my body's doing at any given time so i know the things that i maybe that i like to eat but are a little harder to digest for me or my body doesn't appreciate them as much so you know i'll be judicious about making those choices and so you know that i believe in there's times to detox and times to retox yeah. You know, so there's you know holiday fun and eating. And then there's times where if you, if your body's giving you signals of uh, inflammation or dysfunction, then you know, you need to buckle down and, and clean up your diet a little bit. But I'll eat just about everything. I don't eat a lot of dairy. I, I'd say the one thing that my body doesn't love, even though I don't have a celiac diagnosis is gluten. Like that's one thing that just so that someone can argue to their blue in their face that that there's no such thing as gluten sensitivity. But to me, it's it's something that, that makes a difference. So I stay away from that. But like I said, like the stage of life I'm in right now, sometimes it's like inadvertent intermittent fasting for the first half of the day, because there's so much to do. And when I'm in the office, there's a lot, lot of ordering in from the best possible choices locally, but it's still ordering in. And I, I love the, the freedom and the ability on a weekend if I'm upstate to pick veggies from the veggie garden and prepare a meal and, and
0: yeah. Sounds lovely. I have a random question about intermittent fasting. You might know this answer. Can you have a mushroom supplement in the morning if you're intermittent fasting? Is that going to break your fast?
1: I don't know what the official answer to that is, but but my general approach to my patients is if you're taking an herbal supplement or an herbal formula, there's not quite enough caloric density there to, to worry about. I would say take the mushroom supplement and consider it to be, you know, an intact fast. Someone may come out and say like, listen, that's officially not the right way to approach intermittent fasting, but intermittent fasting on, the, on its very basic level is a slight deprivation of resources to induce an adaptive response in your body. And, uh, you know, if you were to say like, hey, if I had a cheeseburger, would that break the fast? Be like, yeah, dude, it breaks the fast. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Okay, well, my last question before we head into some rapid fire Q&A, what do you think is next in wellness? Is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Um, I think like, as we were saying earlier, I think the pandemic here has thrown like gasoline on the fire of holistic and wellness kind of health fields. I think a lot more people considering the value and even entering a kind of a wellness path. Like it used to be like, you know, when you heard about things like conscious un- uncoupling, and and half the world made fun of it, like it was some outrageous thing. And then a few years later, people were like, "Oh no, that's actually a really good thing. It's valid. Like that, yeah, it's that's a, that's a valid and appropriate and ideal way to approach things." And then, you know, a few years ago, people would be like, well, I have a self-care routine. And people would be like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? Like, like, why don't you just get back to work kind of thing? And so, like, now people are like, oh, no, like self-care is important. Like, like, it's as important as being productive. It's as important as doing anything else you'll do. So I think even just that, that's the thing in wellness that, that like the millions of people who didn't think that they were candidates for wellness, all of a sudden, are finding themselves, themselves asking the questions of like, maybe I need to focus or should focus or can focus on taking charge of my health and, and finding the things that I can do in my life to improve my health and wellness. But I think immune function is a huge thing now inflammation is a huge thing people used to think of inflammation in abstract terms but now we've seen with some unfortunate uh, sufferers with the COVID cytokine storms etc just these these tsunamis of inflammation in, in someone's body we really people are seeing like oh wow this is an ugly physiological scenario and it would be great to try to you know sidestep it or mitigate it in whatever way i can and then i think also underlying conditions i think a lot of people accepted underlying conditions like like uh, excess weight or high cholesterol or dying as just par for the course for the American lifestyle. And I think over the last year, we've seen that underlying conditions make such a huge difference in health and medical outcomes that people are uh, really kind of asking questions about like, maybe I I shouldn't accept my underlying condition. Maybe I should try to do something about
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to switch gears into some rapid fire
1: go ahead.
0: So your favorite essential oil?
1: Definitely frankincense.
0: Favorite herb?
1: pi, The bark of happiness.
0: What's your superpower? Um, My superpower is
1: listening to the whisper of a situation, connecting the dots, and then kind of finding a solution.
0: Your favorite wellness hack?
1: For me personally? Yeah. I'd say probably like fluidity, flexibility, like not doing the same thing every single day.
0: Three random things that you're currently loving. So it could be book, product, et cetera.
1: Okay. Uh, top of the list right now is learning to fly airplanes with my 16 year old daughter. That yeah. would, that's, that's one of the wonderful COVID year, pandemic year things that we've done. And that's top of the list. Second would probably be gardening. I love, I have a veggie garden, I love gardening. And then third, you said three? Third yeah. would be, be YouTube comedy.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite YouTube comedy?
1: Oh, just a lot. Anything. Of yeah, a lot, like there's a lot of good, funny stuff out there. And when you just have a few minutes to kind of, you know, change your mindset, um, then a, a five-minute routine from any one of them is fantastic.
0: That sounds like a great wellness hack, right? Just having that laughter. What do you want more of in your life?
1: Probably time.
0: What do you want less of? Definitely stress. (laughs) A meal that you'll never forget.
1: In Woodstock, there's a restaurant called Sylvia's in Woodstock, New York. And I've had a few meals there and they're just fantastic. Like just all around wonderful meals.
0: What was in the one of the meals that you remember?
1: It's kind of like a collision between like good American dining with an asian influence and so they'll like they'll like the, the bibimbap is excellent the i mean they have oysters that are always excellent and fresh the burgers are great i mean the steaks Everything. are great i mean they have great food
0: <laughs> all right next time in woodstock what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey
1: uh, for sure meditation for sure
0: Wonderful. Well, Paul, anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to chat about?
1: No, that sounds fine. It's been really nice chatting.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.